people do come to us because they are looking for more forward movement in their speech. Um, my bigger concern is when people would say, I'm looking to um, eliminate the stuttering or um, I'm looking to hide the stuttering. Um, that you know really requires some good solid counseling even before talking about what kind of treatment and treatments might be helpful. Welcome to Some Stutter Law, Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about living with communication disorders. It is a production of the Communication Collaborative. My name is Greg O'Grady. I am a person who stutters and your host. Some Stutter Law aims to rebuild confidence and hope for people who live with communication differences by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. For more information about the Communication Collaborative or this podcast, you can find us at somestutterlaw.ca. If you get one thing from this podcast, we hope it's this. It's okay to stutter and it's okay to communicate differently. It's not how we communicate that's important. It's a message that's important. Today, Some Stutter Law welcomes two speech-language pathologists from the Speech and Stuttering Institute in Toronto, Lori Scott Salsky and Marnie Kinder. I have been involved with the Speech and Stuttering Institute as a client and as a volunteer since the mid-1980s. I'm dating myself here. I have also received treatment from Lori and Marnie for my severe stuttering over these years. If anyone of our Some Stutter Law listeners are looking for, uh, for exceptional speech-language pathologists, I highly recommend Lori and Marnie. Now, a little about Lori and Marnie. Lori is a senior clinician and subject matter expert for the stuttering program at the Toronto Speech and Stuttering Institute. She leads the Provincial Preschool Fluency Project and trains speech-language pathologists across Ontario. She is the co-author of the Fluency Plus program and is published in the Guitar and Macaulay's current textbook. She has dedicated her practice to stuttering for over 20 years. A little about Marnie. Marnie is a speech-language pathologist at the Speech and Stuttering Institute, where she has spent the past 14 years working exclusively with people who stutter in both individual and group treatment programs. She is a pa passionate about helping her clients achieve not only fluency, but comfort and confidence to communicate in everyday speaking situations. Marnie is a graduate from the University of Toronto MHS program, where she maintains an affiliation as a clinical educator to students and guest lecturer in the fluency disorders class. Marnie is also, she also enjoys offering training programs 
and workshops to practicing speech language pathologists on the Fluency Plus program for children and teens. So welcome Marnie and Lori to Some Stutter Law. Now for people who stutter, poor mental health is a challenge. The stuttering mentality can easily lead to spiraling into what I consider the dark rabbit hole of addictions. Sometimes people who stutter I sense are very reluctant to be to open up completely about other uh, challenges. So what what are your thoughts as speech language pathologists meeting a client for the first time or or during treatment when your son senses something more up? Yeah, so when a client first enters treatment, definitely some of these factors can affect, um, you know, first of all, whether a client seeks treatment in the first place. So a lot of people may be hesitant to even look into any kind of treatment for their stuttering if they are struggling with some of these different issues. Um, but once they do seek treatment, I think it's important to, to be open about anything else that might be going on in your life. Um, a lot of people are hesitant to talk about these things, and it might take a little bit of time to establish that, um, you know, client-therapist relationship so someone is feeling more comfortable to open up about things that are going on with them in addition to the stuttering. Um, but it's always helpful to treat the person as a whole and, and look at sort of anything else that a person might be struggling with to, to help them in the best way possible. I would agree with all of that, mm -hmm. I, especially the sentiment about treating the whole person, meeting the whole person, meeting the whole person where they are. Um, you know, I think for probably uh, any communication challenge, this is true, but perhaps especially for stuttering. Um, you know, really that ability to express yourself across all of the important um, activities of, of your life, really expressing who you are, um, is the common reason why many people reach out for help with stuttering to begin with. Um, so I think, you know, with time and with that building of trust, um, it's, it's really valuable for me as a clinician to um, gain an understanding of the whole person. Uh, sometimes, uh, well, I'm no one to point the finger, but there is such a thing as treatment relapse in therapy, okay? And sometimes I view it myself as an ugly word because <laughs> I don't, I'm not proud of relax, relapsing, but what are some of the causes for treatment relapse? Sure, okay. Greg, you have big <laughs> questions right out of the gate. <laughs> Um, okay, but uh, I think this is a really important issue. There, uh, <laughs> there will be a part two. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion um, recently about the terminology um, relapse and recovery, and you know maybe it's more reminiscent to um, you know speaking about other issues like addiction. So I, I personally don't use relapse, but certainly we have regressions of skills. And I don't just mean the fluency skills. Um, I mean the cognitive skills, um, the emotional skills, you know, th there's sort of three sets of muscles, I think, that um, we help our clients to exercise. Um, you know, one of them being certainly some of the motor speech elements of the timing of the speech movements. But, you know, that's really just the surface. I think also those 
cognitive skills. How do we handle some negative thinking, perhaps? How do we handle some feelings and attitudes that come along with stuttering? Um, and, you know, building some of that emotional resilience, because, um, you know, life isn't easy for anyone, but certainly people with communication challenges have a special set of uh, maybe needs in terms of looking at, um, you know, keeping those muscles strong. So I think when um, some regression happens in those skills, skills drift, you know, we go to the gym, we build our muscles and, you know, we can't just um, let it go. We have to keep those muscles strong. So, you know, certainly this is a big issue with um, maintenance of speech skills, but also, um, you know, keeping um, aware and top of mind with those cognitive skills and those emotional skills as well. So it's not uncommon for, for people to have gone through treatment and then come back for little tune-ups along the way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's a, a pretty, pretty standard um, thing that happens. It's par for the course. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Lori. And, and we definitely see that happening often. And I think it's just important for clients not to feel any shame or any embarrassment and coming back if they feel they need help. Um, we know stuttering tends to go in cycles and it goes up and down and people go through periods in their life where they're feeling more confident and comfortable with their speech and other times where they may not be feeling as positive. So I think it's just nice to feel supported when you seek help um, and not feel guilty at all that you have it, that you've experienced a regression. Mm. And uh... This is part of a challenge for me. When I have a bad day, the guilt, the guilt <laughs> comes in, you know. But this, this, I think it's a lot of people who start to experience the guilt, you know. Normally, like, uh, when, uh, uh, how do you get somebody, a client, back on track to build their confidence and say, okay, it was a bad day, I'm not doing too well, I'm regressing. How, how do you get them back on track? I would say usually to get somebody back on track, it starts with um, just being understanding and accepting of where they are in their process or their journey at that point. And, and then really trying to think about where they're at in terms of their skills and their mindset about their speaking and figuring out whether they need any kind of review of the, the skills they've learned in therapy um, or whether it's a review of the cognitive aspects and changing the mindset to a more positive shift in thinking, or maybe usually it's a bit of both and um, just a lot of support along the way it depends on the client's goals and their, their needs. Yeah, I would say um, I've been building a, a therapeutic muscle myself um, in terms of solution-focused brief therapy. I, I think probably this is um, familiar to both of you, but um, you know, when we have a client who has experienced a regression and they come back to get some support, I think, you know, first of all, you know, I want that client to know that, you know, that's a really important step and I'm really happy to see them and it's not um, unusual and it's not anything to be ashamed of. It's not a failing. It's, it's part of stuttering. Stuttering is variable. It goes up and down. Um, but when someone comes in and says, oh, I'm not where I want to be um, with my speech, I think, um, you know, taking that solution focus and just saying, well, you know, what has made you reach out? What is it that you would hope to see in the future? And then we can, you know, develop a process together um, in terms of what are the solutions? What, 
what's already going well, we could do more of that. And, you know, what more could we do um, to get us closer to that um, goal that's inside of, of each person individually? Okay. Uh, uh, let, let's talk about the F word for a few minutes, fluency. And, uh, Marty, in, in your, <laughs> in your, your bio, I actually liked what you said that Marty is passionate about helping her clients achieve not only fluency, but comfort and confidence to communicate in everyday speak, speaking situations. So really, what, you know, what is your definition of fluency? I know the word fluency, there's a love-hate relationship, I sense. But normally, what, what, what's your definition as SLPs? Yeah, I, you know, I look at fluency as communicating with comfort, with confidence, with ease, having that forward flow of communication and, and not avoiding, kind of saying everything that's on your mind and not being afraid to speak up in a situation when you have an idea or you have something to share, uh, not changing the words around and saying those words that you really intended to say. Um, and I do think a lot of clients put a lot of pressure on themselves with the fluency. Um, so it, it can be, there can be different definitions of it for sure. But the confidence, I think, is the most important thing to me. I would, yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's something that, you know, as colleagues, we get to talk about a lot that some other maybe uh, clinicians don't have that same ability to touch base and, and develop that definition. Um, yeah, when I think of fluency, I think of flow. I think of full expression, um, expression of self, even more so than just specific to the speech itself. Um, you know, really working towards um, just that communication mentality, like Marty was saying. So, you know, I would hope that people wouldn't hear fluency and think, um, perfect fluency or stutter free um, and certainly not um, in that category of uh, seeking to hide stuttering in any way. It would just really be um, some freedom. I think freedom to express yourself uh, fully, um, you know, and achieve some, you know, for for want of a better word, that that self-actualization, that full realization of who you are as a person. Um, you know, speech is is mechanical, but it's also our vehicle that we communicate who we are. It's how we make connections with other people. Um, so fluency in terms of a forward flow, not holding yourself back, um, you know, not in terms of muscle movements, but also not in terms of expressing your full self and expressing everything that you want to say. Mm. When, when you have a, a client that comes to you, like a pr prospective client that meets with both of you, uh, and then their focus is so much on fluency. They said, I just want to be able to speak, overcome my stuttering, and uh, I feel that once I am able to control my stuttering, all my my problems in life will go away. What, what would you respond to that? When there's such a focus on fluency. It does happen, right? We meet people all the time that they think that that's what they want. Um, and I think that that's our role as good therapists to help, um, you know, meet people where they are, but then also help to develop out that understanding 
Um, you know, there's not a cure for stuttering, um, but there's also not a need to hide the stuttering. Um, you know, most people do come to us because they are looking for more forward movement in their speech. Um, my bigger concern is when people would say, I'm looking to um, eliminate the stuttering or um, I'm looking to hide the stuttering. Um, that, you know, really requires some good, solid counselling even before talking about what kind of treatment and treatments might be helpful. I agree with that completely. And I think when we're, you know, when clients come in and their focus is on fluent speech, often people come in with that goal and things can change as they go through the process of treatment. Um, you know, through the process of treatment, I think they come to accept their stuttering. Um, many clients will join a stuttering support group where they may be involved in some form of group therapy where they've never had a chance to meet another person who stutters before and they finally have a chance to sort of see other people who stutter and realize that stuttering isn't this horrible disease or this horrible thing that has to be um, that has to have so much shame associated with it so sometimes that goal of fluency takes on a different meaning too as a person goes through their journey of, of treatment yeah, I, I also reflect that sometimes it's the opposite, actually, that someone will come in and they'll say, it's not actually the stuttering that's causing me so much problem. It's my avoidance. It's my feelings about the stuttering. It's everything I'm not doing to hide the stuttering, everything I'm not doing because of the stuttering. Um, and sometimes I'm listening to these heartfelt emotions from someone who really is not stuttering overtly. Um, they may be covert stutterers, and that's really causing the biggest amount of stress and really what's um, bringing them to clinic to see us. So sometimes people stutter more at the end of therapy, not less, but that's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's that free feeling of freedom to finally express everything that's on your mind. What, uh, what do you feel causes more challenges for a person who stutters somebody who is overt versus somebody who's covert what's the is there a, a more of a challenge working with a covert person who stutters uh, because covert stuttering can really affect one's individuality one's identity as Laurie alluded to i think for someone with covert stuttering and sometimes they carry more weight on their shoulders. They're always walking through life trying to hide the stuttering. And because they may be capable of hiding the stuttering from just the average listener, it sometimes can be, you know, a lot of pressure to have to go through life always trying to pretend that you're fluent and change words around to, to make yourself appear fluent. Um, and not to say that a person with more overt stuttering doesn't have their own set of challenges and maybe um, anxieties about the speech, but it is something maybe harder to hide from others. So it's sort of out there a little bit, a little bit more than someone who has the ability to hide it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. That, you know, the severe overt stuttering, um, sometimes the choice is easier um, because, uh, you know, they're, they're suffering from not being able to functionally communicate. Um, and the choice to make some changes, uh, learn some targets, use speech where you can hear targets um, is an easier choice in some ways. Whereas, like you're saying, Marnie, for the person who has been um, passing 
as fluent, it becomes uh, an enormous amount of um, anxiety and stress. Um, clients have shared with me, it sort of feels like they're always on edge, just waiting for that moment when they're discovered. Um, and that is often what brings them in to, to speak with us because the, the pain of, of that is bigger than the pain of um, like a, an imagined future where they um, want to express themselves more fully, even if that means stuttering. Mm -hmm. the, uh, there, there is such a uh, emotional component to stuttering. Like we know the, the stuttering iceberg. And I think I mentioned it to you both before that I think Dr. Sheehan's number is way off because the, uh, in theory, he says the uh, tip of the iceberg is the 10% of the stuttering, the uh, the physical component, and then you have the secondary char characteristics. And below the surface is the 90% of the stuttering, the shame, the um, embarrassment, isolation. I feel, based on my lived experience, and some people may disagree, that I feel the tip of the iceberg should be 1%. The emotional component is 99%, and that is the challenge for speech-language pathologists and the client. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with, with what you're saying, Greg, that there's such a huge emotional component to the stuttering, and there's so much more to stuttering than meets the eye. And most adult clients who I see and teens and children, I mean, at any age, there can be an emotional component to the stuttering. And, you know, it's very hard not to react to the moments of stuttering or react to feelings of embarrassment when you had situations where you stuttered and it wasn't the, the greatest time for it to happen, or maybe you received a look from an outside listener about the stuttering, which created some underlying feelings about the stutter. Um, so definitely in therapy, that's something that we we address and um, we talk about quite a bit because it's such a huge component to the stutter as a whole. Yeah, and I'm sure Lori has lots to add to this. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, helping uh, the public understand more about stuttering, helping students understand more, other clinicians who maybe don't work with stuttering as much, um, you know, this is probably the most important visual that we can um you know, impose. And, you know, I'm sure that that the size of the underwater portion varies from person to person. Um, you know, I think more often than not, it's a really big chunk of ice underneath the surface. Um, not always. Um, you know, sometimes we will meet clients whose, um, you know, emotional impact is, is less, but I would say most of the time it's very significant. Um, but I, you know, I think I've shared with you before, Greg, I also feel like that big chunk of ice under the surface is also where the solutions lie. You know, when, when it's under the surface in the dark, it takes on a very um, imposing, scary quality. And I think um, some of the benefit of uh, going through a treatment program, maybe especially a group treatment program is where we can start to take some of those things out into the light and look at them and share them and talk about them. And that's a good first, first step. Mm. The the word is on the street <laughs> that uh, some of the uh, upcoming SLPs, the students, they're, they're very leery about specializing in stuttering because of the huge emotional component. 
is defined as a, a, a trend because the emotional component is so deep, as Luria was saying, this darkness be, below the surface, which I call the shadows, the secret scaries within. So uh, why, uh, why is that, do you think? Do you think there's some, some validity to some students who are reluctant? We have good evidence for that. I think, um, you know, for, for professionals treating often, that will be the, um, the population they will refer out most readily, um, which, you know, is not a, a terrible thing. Um, if a clinician doesn't have, um, kind of a, a critical mass of experience and, you know, regular experience with, with treating stuttering, it probably is one of those areas, um, you know, we, we can't say that we specialize, but certainly I think it takes, um, you know, a special muscle that you develop uh, from listening to clients and um, sort of being the repository of uh, the things that are helpful and effective uh, to know about and to be able to share. Um, you know, but for other clinicians, I think that's what makes, um, you know, this journey so exciting is being able to, um, you know, work with people who are, you know, really, um, you know, that whole person approach, you know, it's, it's some speech, it's some language, it's some feelings, it's some emotions, it's, it's different every single day. Um, you know, I always say to, to students or, you know, younger clinicians who are sort of dipping their toe into the world of stuttering, um, you know, you're never going to be bored. It's, it's a different, it's a different, um, circus every single time. Um, you know, sometimes clinicians will say to me, wow, you, you only treat stuttering, you know, and you've only been treating stuttering for 20 years. Like, you know, aren't you bored or is, doesn't it become uh, kind of rote? And I say never. I say, you know, I'm constantly learning, constantly learning from um, clients. And now that I work more with uh, the preschool population, working and learning from parents, um, you know, it really is, it, it's, it's a new and exciting challenge every time. So, you know, I, I encourage people who have that inclination to uh, learn more about stuttering and the treatment of stuttering. Um, but certainly we know that um, probably the, the postgraduate uh, master's programs are not sufficient, um, you know, to, to graduate uh, confident clinicians, which is why we're, we're so excited to be able to provide um, ongoing continuing education in stuttering um, for treatment of adolescents and adults, um, and also for, for treatment of, of preschoolers and school-age children as well. I agree, Lori. It just never gets boring, and people do ask that. Why, you know, how can you work with people who stutter all day and teach the same techniques, but every client we meet is so different, and they all come in with a different set of attitudes and emotions, and to, for me, that's the part that I like about it so much. Um, so I guess it's really just a matter of what you're comfortable with and, and learning by experience, too. You know, it's clients like you, Greg, that have taught us so much and we just learn from every person that we meet and learn about what's under the iceberg and how to address it. And that's the part that I always find so fascinating. It keeps things interesting. Mm. See, I, you know, I, I feel based on my own lived experience as a person who stutters. And for some reason or another, I never thought of this, but people who stutter, there's, a, there's grief. There's a lot of, there's a grieving process. Once you really get in touch with the below the surface, there's a lot of grief there. So as, and some, I, I, I sense that, I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of people who stutter, 
some people who stutter are not even aware of this, that below the surface you have all these feelings, but it's also related to the grief. And, and I feel some people who stutter are afraid to even touch that, even go there. And uh, do, do you both bring, uh, bring this up like grief? Do you use, actually use the word grief in your uh, discussions treatment? I don't personally use the word grief when it comes to stuttering because I think sometimes it implies that stuttering is this sort of horrible disease and, and we want to look at it in a different light. But I do think some clients come into treatment, just like you said, Greg, where they're sort of grieving some of the losses associated with their stuttering. Often they come in feeling like they've missed job opportunities or or didn't pursue certain academic experiences in life because of stuttering. So it's definitely quite common for people to feel that. Um, but it's something we address in therapy and we talk about how you can't obviously change the past and you can't go back and change what happened, but you can change the future and empower people to feel that they can change their life going forward, make sure that they don't let stuttering impact their future decisions Sometimes people will go back to school after pursuing a treatment program and decide, you know, I'm going to go after this job that I really wanted, or I turned down this senior position, even though everyone at work was telling me to go after it, I didn't think I could do it. And now they feel empowered to go and do that. So um, there could be a sense of grief and hopefully a sense of empowerment once they learn to you know, address some of the under the iceberg feelings. Yeah, I'm, I'm reflecting a lot on um, what happens uh, growing up as someone who stutters, you know, even from early childhood. Um, you know, working with adults, we often um, come to the point where, you know, we have the priv privilege of, of hearing some of those true reflections, um, maybe reflecting that growing up, um, being younger and stuttering wasn't as painful or um, bringing up as much grief as perhaps, you know, just the feeling that there was something bad or something wrong about the stuttering or the feeling that um, it wasn't something that could be discussed in their home with their parents. Um, and so that's really valuable for me now working with the parents of um, preschoolers, young children who are maybe just beginning to stutter and reflecting on what would have been so um, helpful um, for the adult stutterers that I know, um, you know, not, um, having to carry that weight of it's something wrong or something that I feel guilty or my parents aren't happy about or that we can't, um, discuss. So that really helps me, um, to pass on that helpful perspective to parents and, and really help them to understand that, um, you know, for their little people who are maybe just beginning to stutter, we really want to prioritize um, communication um, and valuing, you know, what your little person is saying, you know, much more than how they're saying it to to really promote those healthy attitudes and, and, and keep those little people um, happy and healthy communicators so they don't maybe have to grow up, um, you know, looking back and feeling uh, that sense of grief that it was something that's so heavy that they had to carry. Do you both, uh, in, 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 well, here in Newfoundland, I'm not too sure about in Ontario, but SLPs 
aren't allowed to refer to themselves as specialists in stuttering. Do you are, are you allowed to refer to yourself as specialists? Promote yourself as specialists? Yeah, no. Um, you know, we we receive a generalist education, um, and so you know, our our direction from our college is not to refer to ourselves as specialists um, in any one area. Um, but I think it's it's very important that we recognize as speech language pathologists those areas where we have um, higher competencies and those which maybe we don't have areas of or have as high competency. Um, you know, I think there has been discussion in Ontario as um, designating a special interest group the way they have in the United States. Um, you know, they have the special interest groups for fluency or special interest groups for for swallowing. Um, and those are often the, um, you know, sort of the big areas that the profession is advocating, um, if, you know, if not uh, a specialty designation, at least um, some um, advanced training in order to treat those areas um, really well. And how about you, Marnie? Any thoughts about that? Well, I would just agree there. Yeah, unfortunately, there isn't, um, you know, any specialist designation in in Ontario so um, yeah we, we can't you know officially call ourselves a specialist in stuttering but like Lori said people have different areas of focus in their practice and different levels of experience and training um, in different areas of speech speech pathology is so wide there's so many different areas within speech pathology so um, different people focus on different areas you know, Greg, we're lucky at the Speech and Stuttering Institute. Oh, you are, definitely. And, you know, there, uh, there should be more uh, Speech and Stuttering Institutes for Canada, you know, and uh, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. You see, and this is what's lacking in Newfoundland. We, we don't really have a center similar to the Speech and Stuttering Institute, which I'm spoiled, you see. I'm spoiled. And as... As you both know, my long-term vision is to establish a center similar to the SSI called the Bob Kroll Center for Stuttering and Speech. So that's that's my long-term vision. And uh, so I'm retired, but I'm not retired either. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, the, uh, the work is there's still a lot of work left to be done sort of thing. But it's unfortunate that uh, sometimes I think when... Parents are looking for a specialist in speech therapy in stuttering. Uh, the speech therapist cannot say that I'm I'm a specialist, but I have an interest in stuttering. You know, that's so. I, so I, I feel that may be a challenge for a parent looking for a specialist. Would you agree? Or I do, and I recommend that. Parents feel very free to ask that question when they're looking for a therapist. You know, would you consider stuttering to be a particular area of focus for you? Um, and, you know, even within age groups, because someone who has a lot of experience with adult stuttering, it may not be applicable to preschool stuttering and vice versa. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's a very fair question. Um, you know, I, I think specifically in stuttering where you know, that emotional component is so important to understand and, and maybe quite difficult to understand without, um, you know, kind of uh, having that experience with enough clients to really, um, you know, gain that, that deep understanding of, um, 
you know, the things that can be helpful and the things that really can't be uh, are not so helpful um, for people who stutter in terms of messaging them around, um, you know, uh, perfect fluency that we, we, we discussed earlier or, um, you know, underestimating the importance of, of being free to express yourself regardless of stuttering, um, acceptance of stuttering, um, you know, really moving forward in life um, in a way that, that's, that's happy and healthy regardless. Um, but I think we're, we're really lucky at the Speech and Stuttering Institute because we have um, been designated an, a, a center for training. Um, so I do get to work with uh, clinicians around the province uh, provide some extra training in treatment for for preschoolers specifically, um, and also to support a community of practice of of clinicians. So just as group um, therapy or support groups for people who stutter can be so valuable for so many reasons, um, you know, I think also for clinicians who are looking to gain that expertise treat with the treatment of stuttering, it really helps to be part of a community where we where we share um, best practices and share uh, resources and really support one another, um, you know, to gain that um, level of expertise that you really need to treat stuttering really well. Yeah, it's really nice, Lori, that so many therapists, you know, they call her all the time with questions uh, related to stuttering and just being able to talk openly and discuss if, you know, someone's having it difficult case or they're unsure of something, they can reach out for some help. Um, and like you said, Lori, I think it's really important for clients to ask the right questions when they're looking for a therapist and just not be afraid to ask the therapist what their level of experience is working with stuttering, what their level of comfort is in that area, how many clients they've treated or what their approach is. Uh, those are all good questions to ask. Well, and I would add, Marnie, the workshops that you provide for clinicians um, for the adolescent program, um, you know, without something like that, many clinicians are, um, you know, without that ability to, to gain that extra expertise after their master's programs. Um, so I'm sure you have the same impact on the community where they see you as a resource for helping them to improve the quality of their practice. Thank you. It's always nice to collaborate and, and kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, based on your years of experience now as speech language pathologist, from when you went to when you were trained now, how has your approach to treatment changed, and if so, how? Based on your earlier training to today, I would say my you know my approach has definitely changed since the early days of my training. I think. Um, you know, there's definitely a bigger emphasis now on sort of the psychological aspects of the stuttering and addressing the emotional component to stuttering. Um, you know, way back when the fluency program was first established at, you know, the, the stuttering center before it became the speech and stuttering institute. Um, you know, the approach was more about fluency shaping and just addressing the the actual physical component to the stuttering and improving the fluency. But over the years, it was sort of discovered that that wasn't really enough. And that's when um, Lori and Dr. Cole created the Fluency Plus program with the plus sort of aspect of the program 
meant to address all of the cognitive aspects of the stuttering and all of the, the issues beneath the surface of the iceberg. Um, and that's one thing I think has, that has changed in my practice a lot over the years. Um, I definitely spend more time addressing that, um, working on feelings and emotions and challenging negative thoughts about the speech. Um, I'm sure, Lori, does that come up a lot with your clients as well and the little people too? Yeah, I mean, I think there's an analogy there. Um, you know, for, for a long time, the treatment of preschoolers was indirect. And then, um, you know, about 25 years ago, the Lidcombe program came into effect, which is a much more behavioral approach. Um, and now the sort of the pendulum swings back again. And um, there's a lot more interest and emphasis included in our kind of um, treatment options that are um, really recognizing um, the importance of um, instilling, maintaining the healthy communication attitudes, um, you know, right from the very earliest stages. Um, you know, I, I had a great um, experience in October participating in a symposium um, put um, on as the um, Croatia Clinical Symposium, um, fifth one, um, put on by the Australian Stuttering Research Center, um, headed by uh, Dr. Mark Onslow. Greg, I think you had an opportunity to speak with him. Um, but it really brought the international community of clinicians who were really uh, interested in, um, you know, maximizing the effectiveness of of treatment for preschoolers um, and an a special um, emphasis on the importance of um, mental health, recognizing that many adults who stutter will experience mental health issues. Um, and that while we don't believe that uh, little people are stuttering because of mental health problems, they can certainly begin to develop them quite early, even very little people can have strong emotional reactions to um, you know, some of the early uh, fear conditioning that might be happening or social rejections that might be happening. Um, so as clinicians treating uh, preschoolers, how important it is to be aware of that and help parents to safeguard our little people. You know, many um, of the um, preschoolers who begin to stutter will resolve either spontaneously or with treatment, but some will not. And we have to make sure that we're um, instilling um, good uh, communication attitudes right from the very beginning uh, to prevent those mental health issues from, from becoming problematic. You know, it's interesting, Laurie, that when you mentioned Dr. Oslo, he was an excellent guest. I learned a lot having him as a guest. And but he talked at length about said social anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder can be a debilitating condition. And I mean, with me as a person who stutters, I've always associated. Um, uh, uh, I've always been anxious. It's almost like my my best bedfellow, you know, because <laughs> it's just a natural component of stuttering. But how would you, what in a what are your thoughts about social anxiety disorder in terms of it can be so debilitating? 
Right. Well, and again, I think, um, you know, the population of people who stutter is heterogeneous. There are certainly some clients who uh, that's a very um, prominent and forefront area of concern and for others, not so much so. But I think that what we're learning more and more and we're, we're being helped to understand um, through research is that it um, it's quite um, common, quite prevalent in adults who stutter and um, really there there needs to be um, an informed and responsible approach. Um, there are, are some um, aspects of those emotional um, components, those um, anxiety components that, you know, we are well poised as speech language pathologists with good experience with people who stutter. Um, and then there are times when we really uh, need to realize that we're out of our scope of practice. It's beyond the scope of our practice and, and need to be able to refer um, out to um, really good mental health supports. But recognizing that it's it's on the, or the radar for many people is really important, I think, as clinicians and being willing to um, to go there. You know, some clinicians might say, oh, I, I'm a speech pathologist. I, I don't do that, that mental health stuff. But I mean, I think we have to be willing um, to go there to even look for where um, that that referral might be important. Um, and, you know, and also to recognize how. Um, you know, how well poised we are sometimes to really understand, um, you know, what could be going on, um, you know, let clients know they're not the only ones that are having those struggles and those feelings um, and being able to support them all the way through to finding the ultimate solutions. I find often in, in treatment, I'll be working with uh, the client and also working with the therapist in addition to seeing a client for speech therapy where they might be addressing more of the emotional aspect of of the stuttering or you know some of the social anxiety that could even be separate from the stuttering um, often in therapy we're addressing the social anxiety aspect if it comes up because many people who stutter are anxious in social situations about the speaking or about the fear of judgment from their listener or what people will think if they do stutter um, so there's a lot of work on challenging negative thoughts about speaking and um, there is a, a program, an online-based program that was developed by the Australian Stuttering um, Treatment Centre and they have a, an iGLE program that many of my clients have tried out, which is also addressing that social anxiety. I don't know if you've seen that, Greg, but that's it's a really great, great program to address sort of the social anxiety and that's available free of charge online yeah. to anyone who would like to access it. Yeah, it's a five. I think any person can sign up for five months for free, and it's sort of self-directed therapy, um, challenging negative thoughts about the speech and addressing any sort of social anxiety aspects of the stuttering. So a lot of clients are doing this sort of paired with their speech therapy to address some of the thoughts that go along with the stuttering. Wonderful. So if uh, so, Laurie and Marnie. So if, if if some of our listeners are interested in looking into the iGLEE, they just contact the Australian uh, Centre for Stuttering. Yeah, the Australian um, Stuttering Research Centre. Okay, thank you. 
They have a great website. They have many great um, resources, and there's a link right on the website to the iGleave program. When you know, when you both, uh, you know, just listening to, to to you both about you know working with other specialists, it reminds me of the the uh, the, the old African proverb: it, it 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 takes the village to care for a child. And uh, you know, I I also support that because I feel. To reframe it for people who stutter, it, it really takes a care team to support people who stutter, and and this is where like sometimes so sometimes I think we we put so much pressure on you as SLPs that it's not fair to you because you know we we all know that you you know you, uh, you, SLPs are limited in their scope of knowledge, but when you know, when do you decide to refer to an outside Partner, like a psychologist, psychiatrist, and, and if you know, and I'm sure you've worked with an outside partner before. But does that work, or what, well, first of all, when you know, when do you feel it's necessary to involve somebody else? Marnie, I think you have yeah. experience with this more yeah. recently, yeah. Yeah, well, um, definitely. I think it depends on the individual, and it really depends on the client and their specific needs. Um, sometimes the difficulties they're experiencing can be addressed in speech therapy alone. Sometimes a client is struggling with anxiety that kind of extends beyond the scope of speech therapy. Um, and they might, you know, I might refer them on to uh, another professional like a psychologist or a social worker or a psychotherapist that might be able to help um, address some of the other difficulties a person is experiencing in their life at that time. Um, sometimes the, the two kind of can go hand in hand. So sometimes when a person is struggling with other things going on in their life, um, they're experiencing more tension in their body overall, and it's harder to coordinate all those muscles they're using for speaking and, and focus on strategies they've been learning in therapy. And so the two kind of interact with each other. So sometimes I do speak with the therapist and we talk a little bit about what somebody has been working on in their speech therapy and they might address some of the psychological aspects of things and we kind of work collaboratively um, to support that mm. client the best way that we can. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes um, the timing of the referral is important. You know, we, we go through an extensive um, intake process and evaluation process to assess readiness for therapy, readiness to benefit from therapy. And, you know, often, um, you know, anxieties and speech anxieties are, are definitely part of that assessment. But we, um, you know, we might realize at that point that it's, it's paramount and perhaps accessing some mental health supports will make the client more ready to then benefit from treatment. And then at other times, we might not, um, you know, fully understand the extent of the limitation of those mental health issues until we're, we've sort of started some treatment and we've developed a little bit more of that trust um, relationship. So I think there's nothing wrong with continually uh, assessing that through the, the process of intervention and being willing to say, um, you know, this is a a speech restructuring program, but also a cognitive restructuring program. So we are going to look at these these issues and these feelings and, and challenging some of these uh, limiting beliefs and, and negative thoughts. And 
Um, you know, the extensive transfer process can be very empowering for people. Um, being involved in an intensive group therapy can be very healing and empowering. Um, but I think we always have to be willing to um, continually assess, you know, is this, um, are, are the mental health needs beyond what we can address within the scope of this program? And, you know, really, like Marty's saying, would, uh, you know, a co-treatment situation be helpful? Um, you know, I've definitely had mental health professionals, um, you know, ask me for a consult, ask me to con consult on what um, I might be able to provide in terms of, you know, what we understand about the anxieties that are specific to stuttering and living as someone who stutters. Um, and, um, you know, being able to incorporate that, it, it's hard sometimes to find um, perhaps a psychologist or a psychiatrist who has extensive um, experience with stuttering. So sometimes we can support um, that process by being part of the team. So ladies, uh, not to hold you up more, I have tons of more questions, as you know, but would you be willing to come back for part two in a few months' time? Sure. Anything for you, Greg? Yes, we'd be happy to, Greg. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. So, so ladies, do, do you have any last words to share about uh, for people who stutter? And, and do, do you want to give a, a shout-out to the Speech and Stuttering Institute? Any shout-out for the Speech and Stuttering Institute? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to us share, you know, these uh, thoughts that we have, um, you know, and Marnie and I have a lot of opportunity to, to talk with one another and support one another. But at the same time, I can hear Bob Kroll's voice echoing behind almost everything that we're saying today. So, um, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge how lucky we are to have been uh, clinicians that have come up at a time when we had the benefit of of his uh, mentorship and leadership and friendship. Um, and, you know, also recognizing that, you know, the Speech and Stuttering Institute is a very special place to work. Um, and we're very lucky to, to have um, that um, support behind us. Um, and Greg, I just want to say to you, I'm, I'm so impressed and, um, I really want to support what you're doing. I think this podcast is helpful. Uh, I think all the awareness that you're going to be building is helpful. And I think everything that you're going to be doing um, going forward, um, you know, we're we're happy to, to support that any way we can. I echo what Lori, Lori said. And Greg, thank you so much for inviting us to, to join you on this podca podcast. Um, the, it's just amazing to see everything that you've done. Um, with, you know, the Newfoundland Stuttering Association and um, raising awareness for stuttering. Um, this is almost like a full-time job, Greg, with all the work you put into all of this. So um, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, this, you know, this, this, you know, this is also thanks to the, the achievement and the quality of, of care that I've gotten from the Speech and Stuttering Institute. So, I mean, so this, uh, by paying it back, by paying it forward, this is my way of saying thank you to all, to you both, Dr. Cole and everybody. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you.